Yo, welcome in to episode 109 of the House of L podcast. I'm Lauren Tomes. Man, I love doing episodes like this. I have an affinity for history and I have an affinity for sports. I love when I can combine them. Like if you go back into episode five, where Dave Revson and I did the University of Chicago's history, like that's one of my favorite episodes of this entire podcast. And this one is right there with this. Shakia Taylor is going to be my guest for this episode. And the reason that we ended up doing this episode is because of something that she was talking about back in episode 75. Now, if you don't know about Shake, you should be following her. If you're a serious baseball fan, and honestly, just like interesting people with interesting ideas, she's, I call her the unicorn because there's not anyone in my circle like her out here covering baseball. On Twitter, you can follow her at Curly Fro. Very simple. At Curly Fro. She writes about sports. She writes primarily about baseball and does an incredible job writing about baseball. She does it from such a unique perspective. And I love that more people are taking notice of her ability to not only tell stories that are often untold, but the fact that she's starting to get some shine with how good of a writer and researcher she is. Like she's, she's pretty great. And I am continuously amazed by her level of talent. Like that's, that's the thing that I, I've, I've, I've come to realize like she's just so talented, like so incredibly talented. And it makes me go, man, I need to step my game up because Shake is out here really showing you what a sports researcher is all about. Her ability to be meticulous in breaking it down. It's very similar to my buddy Jack Silverstein, where I walk away with like their diligence in breaking stuff down is amazing. So let me take you back for a second. So that you understand why I'm doing this episode. Shake was featured on House of L. Like I enjoyed just talking to her about a little bit of everything. Featured her in episode 75. And we talked about a ton of stuff. We talked, you know, her football fandom, the city of Chicago, Cleveland, like all of this stuff. But in the middle of the conversation, I had asked her about her favorite story in baseball that has gone untold. Here's what she told me. My favorite story has to be when Larry Doby went to the league, mostly because of it incorporates multiple interests of mine. There is a woman involved, and she made sure that she got paid for her player making the jump. And a lot of people are like, excuse me, what? Like, because they think Jackie Robinson had this, like, grand deal. And it's like, no, no, no. Somebody got fleeced for that. That definitely didn't go the way you think it did. Whereas Effa Manley was like, well, hold up. You're going to pay me. You're going to 
buy me out on this whole deal. And I, I love that story just because, A, it's a woman completely bossing up in a business situation. B, that moment is huge for all of baseball, particularly African-American players, because that set the tone that they were going to get paid, that nobody was jumping anymore from the Negro League to Major League without getting paid. That was huge. That was huge. And she was big on players' rights and things like that. And I don't think people care. I don't think they care to know those things. And for me, it's important to keep those things in mind that sports have always been political. They've never not been political. So that whole stick to sports thing, it's it's silly. They've always been political, even in ways that you don't think of or you don't realize. That's probably my favorite. I think that the the Effa Manley story, <laughs> I, that's the... I think that's the next great sports film. Mm-hmm. Like if someone really wants to do it, that's the the film that I think people are going to be like, "Whoa!" She was a very mysterious woman. Like everything you read about her comes across as if it was a rumor. Like no one actually knows anything about her. We just know that she did something great and that she loved baseball, right? Because that's what her tombstone says: she loved baseball and. She, her background is weird. No one knows. Is she black? Mm -hmm. Is she biracial? Is she white? Was she Uh, passing? Yeah. Uh, Did her mom have an affair? Who was her dad? Like, just all this. Did she have affairs with players? That was the thing I read. Um, I tried uh, doing a bunch of research on her. But the thing that bothers me is the inconsistency in stories. No one tells the same story about her. No one has the same facts about her. She wrote a book herself where she pretty much told you nothing. Um, (laughs) I kind of admire that, actually, because I'm not really big on sharing, you know, too much uh, publicly anyway. But it's like, wow, she left us not much. She left a legacy, but we don't know her know her. And I, I don't know. I think a movie about her would be so interesting because you would have to put all of the pieces. You would have to tell each side or you have to do your best so there's no movie yet about effa manley but i think that honestly the work that Shakia did in a piece that she wrote for sb nation about effa manley will be one of those pieces that people look back like oh that's kind of where people started telling the story now look as shake said there's been a lot of conjecture about effa manley a lot of people have talked about this is a woman who is the only woman in the Hall of Fame. And she was a Negro Leagues owner back in the day. Shake wrote a piece for SB Nation called Effa Manley's Hidden Life. I highly recommend you read it because it's fascinating. It's, it's well written and the lengths to which Shake went to make to vet all of this stuff and to research all this stuff is fascinating. So the story of Effa Manley, Shake's work on it is the most complete piece of work that I've seen, drawing from so many different sources to actually come to a conclusion about Effa Manley's life. And she's right. There, This woman's history is mysterious. And it took 
shake down a rabbit hole of feelings that I'm not sure that even she was quite ready for. So I want you to listen to this conversation. If you like baseball history, you got to get down on this. It's so fun, and I'm so glad that that we had the chance to just sit and talk about this. It's an incredible story, and I'm glad that Shakia Taylor is the person who told it, and I'm glad that she sat down with me and we could discuss it. You're as big of a baseball fan as anyone that I know, and, mm-hmm. and you're on a list of, of sports fans that I know. How crazy are you going right now to not have sports at your disposal? Um, you know, I never realized how much I watch sports until I didn't have sports to watch. Um, sports are the primary reason I still give Comcast my money. Um, and I've actually been begging people for things to watch on TV because I don't know how to watch anything else. If you hit fave, on my remote it's just all the sports channels it's 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 there's nothing there um other than you know the usual suspects as far as the sports lineup so i've had to actually watch sitcoms and movies (laughs) and you know um i've been complaining about the quality of shows that my friends watch now that i've caught up on like you know 20 years of television um it's been interesting i miss sports but I think sports should stay gone for a little bit longer. Is there anything that you've you've discovered in in not watching sports where you're like, oh, I can get with this. Oh, I see why people think this is great. Um, I watched Peaky Blinders and I got so into it that I had my work laptop in front of me and I had Peaky Blinders on the TV and I'm trying to work and watch this show and I worked all week and watched Peaky Blinders I don't know if anyone at work realized I was never listening (laughs) um but I (laughs) I mean most conference calls could be emails anyway um but I've gotten into Peaky Blinders um I'm actually trying to learn bass guitar really well I can't go to the nail shop so I cut my nails oh so yeah so I figure if there is, there's no better time to try to learn bass guitar than now because my nails won't be in the way. Um, I've picked up decorating my living room. <laughs> Just finding things to do instead of sports. And I haven't picked up the baking bug yet, but that's because everyone else is buying all the flour. Mm, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you did you bake before or was it just something like like you were thinking about trying it now? No, I baked before. I'm just not a bread person. I don't eat bread um, except banana nut bread. So I figured, oh, everyone else is making banana nut bread. I'll make some, too, except everyone else is making it for the first time. So they bought all the supplies. Um <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's kind of funny if you think about the things that people have been hoarding right now. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but I am on like a plant-based diet and the beans were gone and I need the beans right? <laughs> the protein. And I could not understand why the beans were gone, but the TP was gone. So that makes sense. The beans are gone. The TP has gone. Well, I didn't realize that about you until we went 
to a baseball game. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, because you were trying to find the, the the vegan options that were available at the ballpark. Overall, have you found when you go to ballparks that there's enough for you? Um, yes. Actually, I have no problem or I have had no problem finding food at any ballpark except Wrigley. Um, they are still very much so a meat uh, centric ballpark so like i could get nachos there but then the cheese is regular cheese so that defeats the purpose um the pizza cheese um so but like i hate to say it you know but guaranteed rate i can get anything i want to eat there they have vegan options um they it's it's fantastic and there's actually a website i was using for a while i cannot think the name of it but someone actually put together a list of where you can find vegan options in the ballparks. Oh, wow. I don't think it's been updated recently, but I found it a while ago and I would use it whenever I went somewhere. If they get to a point where they're going to let some people into a ballpark, would you be one of the first to go back or one of the last? One of the last. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I really believe that there's going to be a second wave of reinfection and I'd rather not be in it. I'm with you wholeheartedly on that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste any more of your time. I want to get, <laughs> I want, I want to get to the uh, uh, vegan meat of our discussion here and, and, and go back to you being on house of L and you kind of saying, Hey, I'm doing this research on F manly and then you and I talked about Effa Manley for a little bit. And then I feel like you went into the Batcave, did all this research and came up with this incredible piece of journalism. And like what what got me hyped about your piece were two things. One, I thought it was great journalism. Two, I have a degree in history. So seeing your ability to research and go through archives on this was uh i thought really amazing so where did before we get to the story itself where did the journey start in digging for the story okay so i really 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 wanted to write about effa manley and i was just like oh i feel like that's so obvious if i write about effa manley um so i just kept pushing it to the side pushing it to the side And then one day, I think it was on Twitter, a bunch of people just randomly started suggesting things for me. And uh, Lindsay Adler, she writes for The Athletic, said, I like to see something from you on the Manleys. And I super, super, super respect Lindsay. Um, And I took it into consideration because I'm like, ah, that might not be a bad idea. I just have to find my angle Um, with history i find that like people are more interested if you give them a story but you give them an angle you can't just straight tell it you know what i mean like there has to be a hook so um i started digging um actually like light digging back in october um of uh 2019 when i was in london because i traveled by myself for the bears game i remember Um, that yeah, I had lunch with uh, the editor at uh, SB Nation, and we talked about it. And he's like, I saw you tweeting about this Effa Manley thing. I would love to read that. I would love to publish it. And I was like, well, let me do some digging before I commit, because I don't know what my thesis is going to be. 
And there began what was a four-month journey into this woman's life. I'm talking about I'm Googling her repeatedly. I'm going like on page 10 of the Google search, like just digging. Um, I'm just piecing together um, like nicknames and people that she was affiliated with. And um, the Chicago Public Library has uh, the Chicago Defender, um, just all of their archives available. I'm talking about from like the early 1900s. So I was able to pull old articles. Um, and then from there, I just kept digging. Everything led to something else. It was like a puzzle that I was putting together because once I found something, I had to verify it somewhere else. I had to find it somewhere else. And I had no idea, but there's this small segment of uh, students who decide to write on Effa Manley on race. Um, but it's such a quiet thing, right? Like people don't talk about Effa Manley's race because it's just generally accepted that she's a black woman. And so there's all these papers and academic stuff where they're like, was Effa Manley the first Rachel Dolezal? And I laughed a ton, but was she? It's something to think about. Like, um, I talk about this a little bit in my piece, but I just kept digging into the idea that the possibility of a woman who was born racially white had decided that, no, I'm going to be socially black most of the time. So it was, it was so interesting. I experienced so many emotions while writing it and researching it. Um, I can't tell you the number of sources I had. There were so many footnotes on the bottom of my draft. I imagine <laughs> Graham was annoyed with me because you know, when you line at it, you gotta go through every source of mine and make sure that I'm not plagiarizing and I'm getting it right. Um, it was a lot. Trying to separate my personal feelings just couldn't happen. And that's how the piece turned out the way it did. I think it turned out well. And when we were discussing Effa Manley, like even saying her name, you feel like you're in the middle of some mystery be, right. be, because of of everything that she is or we think she is. I also think that there's an issue of claiming like where I would think the difference between her and Rachel Dolezal is, is that the black community has uniformly shunned Rachel, Rachel Dolezal. <laughs> right. But f right now I feel like even if you presented them with the evidence that Effa Manley happened to be white, I feel like old black people would be like, nah, <laughs> no, she's not. She want to, uh, she's invited to the cookout or whatever dumb thing else we want to say about it. So what, for what was the most shocking thing like what was the thing that that you found that you were like you know what I can't do this as just like a straight story like my emotional tie-in has to be a part of what I write um it was I would say when I got to the part where um her I found out that basically her niece said that uh, she lived her life as a, a white woman before she died. And I found it extremely interesting that, um, like, if you look, she was buried as Effa, like, Bishop Brooks Manley, which meant she took on the name of the white man who was actually her father. 
um, had it put on her tombstone. Like these are things that she had to think about in order to do, which leads me to believe that the race flip was a conscious decision because she shut it off. And I mean, we'll never know why she did it. I speculated on maybe she did it for safety reasons for, you know, the men that she was involved with, but it just bugged me so much because, you know, I live every day as a black woman and I have no option of turning it off or turning it on. And so the fact that she got to just make her way through life being perceived as whatever people wanted to see her as, and it was positive for her. You know what I mean? Like she got to be this like, for lack of a better word, this mousy, demanding woman because she was super light skinned, you know? Um, and just reading that over and over and over again from different people's, like, it's like, I don't, I didn't know what to think. And then I want to say there was a difference in the way white authors address the race thing and the way black authors address the race thing. Um, primarily white authors are like, we just didn't ask. We just took it for what she was. <laughs> and <laughs> I can see that. No one wants to be the person to be like, um, excuse me, are you actually black? Because that's offensive. Um, no doubt. And, you, and, you and dangerous no back then. Extremely, extremely. And you really have no reason to question someone because why would anyone lie about it, I guess, is how that goes. And why would um, anyone back then choose to be black when exactly. if they had the option of not doing it? Right. Um, there were stories of her, you know, passing off her husband as her chauffeur so they could get into hotels. And, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, ah, for his safety in that time, him being seen traveling with a white woman was illegal. It was against the law. He could have been killed, um, anything. So for, I tried to be understanding of that as in maybe it was her way of protecting the people she loved. Um, but then again, when she flipped on me later and I was like, ah, why did you do that? Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe she felt a little bit of shame. Maybe she felt like, you know what, it's time for me to just be whoever I am at this point. Um, I just found it so interesting. She's such a mystery. I spent months researching her and I still don't feel like I know anything about her. Th that's what's trippy. When I finished your piece, I was like, okay. I feel like I'm armed with a lot of information now that maybe I didn't have before because you had done the research. And I was left with so many more questions on how all of this stuff went on. And I mean, you went down the rabbit hole to, to find all this out and then trying to figure out what does it mean? Well, what does it mean if, if the woman who is, responsible for the growth of the Negro leagues. Like, what does it mean if that woman is white? What does it mean that she's in the hall of fame and she was kind of a, a, a scion for, for women and black women in mm -hmm. baseball. So what does it mean if after all of that, she turns out to be white? I don't know the answer to it. That's that's why I love the piece because I sat there. You had sent it to me, and I think I was getting ready to go on the air. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to read this when I got some time. So later on that night, I sat there for probably 10, 15 minutes just absorbing it. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Like just trying to take it all in. And I, I completely understand where you're coming from that at the end of this whole thing, what are we left with? We're left with more questions. Right. And it's kind of funny to think that it's potentially by design that that she was playing a game with the whole world because that would make her incredibly smart like just super cunning like i'm gonna just game the world <laughs> like it's kind of amazing um but i don't know like i said i walked away with more questions and answers um i found so many facets of her life to be super interesting but you can't find anything she didn't leave much i mean i went so far as reaching out to one of the archivists at the hall of fame i mean i'm contacting people like hi i'm shakia and i'm writing about effa manley and i know you don't have very much information but if you could share anything that would be great and i got back a pdf this is all we have <laughs> and a lot of the problem with um artifacts from the Negro Leagues is they don't go to the Hall of Fame. The Negro League Hall of, uh, sorry, the Negro League Museum gets first dibs, so to speak, on those items. But even they don't have too much on EFA. And I, I wondered, you know, there was that rumor that Penny Marshall was going to do a movie on her. Yeah, I've seen that in multiple places. Like other people like tweeting about that Penny Marshall was before her death was talking about doing uh, an Effa Manley movie. And I wonder where she was going to get that information. Like it's now that I've read so much about this woman, I'm like, what was the angle of that movie going to be? I keep saying if someone is doing a movie on her, I want in, I would love to do the research on the back end because um, there's rumors that she had affairs with players, but <laughs> like, that would be amazing like, it would be amazing <laughs> uh, because she wouldn't be doing anything differently than anyone else um she's a very mysterious person i don't know how i feel about it to this day now have you seen the movie devil in a blue dress yes that's what i feel like the f a manly movie becomes <laughs> I, I do I, like that's in my mind I'm like that's what it's going to be it's going to be Jennifer Beals and it's going to be oh wait it turns out she's black well in this case it would be the reverse right. but but still like that's in my mind how that that whole thing plays out um for for those who don't know a ton about Effa Manley what are the most impressive things that she accomplished um for me Outside of baseball, her social justice, civil rights initiatives were super important and I think are super underscored in the story of her life. Um, she did a lot of work to get Black women hired at department stores, and no one talks about that when it comes to her. We typically talk about Larry Doby, Larry Doby going to the league, Effa Manley getting money for his contract, but we don't talk about that, you know, she did so much. Um, women working in department stores, um, she, during the war, lent an effort. Like, she just did stuff in the community, which is why, to me, I was so torn on the race thing, because she definitely put her money where her mouth was in the Black community. She, she helped. Um, she did things. Um, I believe she also, yes, there was an anti-lynching campaign at their ballpark, which 
I mean, come on, that is such a brave statement. Even now, it's such a brave statement. Um, so those are the things that I think are most important about her. And then comes, you know, the baseball aspect that, yeah, she married into this situation, basically, but she ran the team. She was the business manager. Her husband had the money, but she made the decisions. Um, she spoke up in an arena that was primarily run by men. Um, if you look at old newspaper articles from back then and like the formulation of the league and the teams, she was extremely vocal. Um, and for the time, I don't think it was expected of a woman to be a, you know, a ball club executive and a vocal one at that, you know, demanding things from men. She demanded better conditions for her players. She paid them better. Um, she wanted the ballparks to be nice, the travel conditions to be nice, which is why she got so pissed at Jackie Robinson for saying that it actually wasn't that great. Um, and that was an interesting thing. I can't imagine having been around at that time and reading <laughs> Effa Manley snapping on Jackie Robinson for dissing the Negro Leagues. Because at that time, it's like, yes, don't talk about the place that raised you. But now it's like, ah, you're talking to a legend. <laughs> like, and maybe that wasn't your place. It's just so complicated. Complicated is a great word. You used it in the piece. And I kept thinking about race as perception, as everyone feels like they can kind of put someone in a box. And human beings, that's what we do. We tend to mm -hmm. block people off and say, oh, well, now that I know that this person is this, I now know how I'm going to interact with that person. I think that's one of the one of the things that makes Effa Manley's story so complicated is that we have to end up taking a long look at what race means and, and how we we talk about and think about race overall. How do you how do you feel like this project changed the way that you think about and discuss race? Secondary question on that. How many women have you talked to about Effa Manley, because I know that you have a, a consiglia consigliori of, of women in sports. So did did you talk to women about this project? Um, so when I'm writing, I try to limit the people I talk to uh, because I like for all of my stories to be a nice little surprise. Um, but after it came out, a lot of people were extremely shocked. A lot of women were extremely shocked. Um, women in baseball, women baseball writers. Um, they were shocked. They loved the story, but they were concerned because that kind of behavior today would absolutely be called out and frowned upon. And it would be all over social media in nine seconds. Um, there'd be think pieces on her. Um, you know, maybe she'd have to go talk to Jada Pinkett Smith on Red Table Talk <laughs> and Maybe she would, you know, post a screenshot of an apology that she typed on her iPhone. Like, it's, it's so, it's alarming, right? Because then and now, it's so many years apart, and it's so different, but so the same. Um, 
some of my girlfriends were not happy. They immediately went to the Rachel Dolezal reference, like immediately. And admittedly, I tried to avoid making that connection, um, even though I knew that everyone was going to do it. You knew it was to, coming. Yeah, I tried to avoid making that connection because I feel like the situations are just as different as they seem similar. So I wanted to work on it um, without putting the Dolezal angle. Um some of my friends were just like, you know, typical, right? And uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, it's typical. <laughs> like, I feel a way about just grouping in people into, you know, this particular type of person is obviously a bad person um, because we don't know her intentions. Um, the way I view race definitely was affected by this piece because I started thinking about like, what is it right like we know it as a social construct but can you deny it can you actively say i'm not whatever right um and then can we claim features is it like she looked black what does that mean what does that mean is it her nose is it her ears like was her hair maybe a little bit kinky like there's so many things that we assume create race right like and she defied all of that. Because if you look at pictures of her because of the time, you don't know. And her family is like, oh, she was kind of olive skinned. Okay, whatever. So it definitely made me step back because Larry Lester said that like race is pretty much how we see people. It's what we look at them and what, it's not necessarily how they are performing to us. It's just what they look like. Um, mm. And I found that to be super interesting because I just never consider it. I'm not colorblind. I hate when people say that. I can acknowledge that people are different races without treating you poorly or better based on those things. Um, I don't know. The whole thing, I keep saying it, it was just so much. It was so much. I normally walk away with something with like a very definitive stance. But this piece, just the more I dug, the more I fought with it. Um, Jack actually asked me how I was feeling after I was done with it. Um, it was, it's still a lot. It's, it's one of those pieces that I stepped away from and was like, all right, I'm going to not write for a couple of weeks. Wow. It was that powerful that you like, I need to take a step back and, and digest all of this. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was obvious in the comments I was getting back during editing, um, like my transitions were kind of harsh because I was just so <laughs> caught up in the story, you know, like this doesn't flow well or, you know, these facts aren't because I was just punching the keyboard, putting in my thoughts. And once I cleaned it up and had to take out, like there was a lot of commentary in the middle and none at the top. And so that became the hard part to be asked, okay, you put your commentary in there, so now you need to insert it throughout. So it kind of built it, it changed it. I went into the piece with one goal and about a quarter of the way through, I got slapped in the face and Effa Maley's ghost was like, absolutely not. You're going to do this this way. And it turned out well, I'm really proud of it. Um, you should be. But it was a doozy and I'm one of those people that I'm super critical of myself. So after I wrote it and people read it, I'm like, Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so, so I feel like now, do you, 
<laughs> this is heavy. Like you, you do heavy stuff really well. I almost feel like you need a sabbatical for the next piece that you write. But here's the thing about like I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, what could be a nice like soft landing for Shake where she could do a baseball story, but it isn't that type of baseball story. But I know you, so I feel like no matter what I give you, if I say do a story on bat flips, you're gonna be like, well, let's talk about the cultural significance of bat flips and where they. You gotta educate the people a little bit too, like. You know, um, I am <laughs> I am a nerd. I love learning. I love picking up information. And I like sharing information. And writing has allowed me the ability to learn and share with other people. And if I had to choose a lighter story right now, I can tell you what I would choose. I would absolutely love to talk to Jason Hayward and Tim Anderson together about what it's like to be the two african-american players in chicago right now like north side south side we got two um just their perspective on the future um i love to talk about what's happening right now um i i just think they would be super interesting to talk to um and of course i'd make a nice historical connection on why they are important <laughs> um <laughs> and, and uh, down the rabbit hole we go because i wouldn't be me without the i am the alice i will be the alice of baseball writing if necessary but i would love to talk to them together separately i think it'd be great together um just because they would feed off of each other um i've never had a conversation with jason hayward he's amazing but I have talked to Tim Anderson at SoxFest and he was like, I could just stand there and talk to him for the entire afternoon. He was so interesting. Um, he's super confident. Very. And I think that the, the two of them could reach a different community than your average baseball story. I think she's right. I love both of those guys. I love talking to them both. So, I hope that she gets the opportunity to talk with him. And I am currently working on trying to help her in that regard. But you talk about storytelling. That's what we have here. We have Shakia Taylor doing incredible storytelling. And it came off great. Read the piece. SB Nation. Effa Manley's Hidden Life. Shakia Taylor is the author I'm very lucky that she considers me a friend and a colleague, and I'm I'm really happy that I got a chance to talk with her about this because it's one of my favorite stories in baseball, too. She was the perfect person to write it. So that's it, at least for now, until Shake gets the opportunity to sit down with Tim Anderson and Jason Hayward. Thanks so much for checking it out. I love when I get to do some of this baseball history stuff and this platform is a great platform to do it. Thanks to shake for hitting me up. I'm going to throw the, you can watch the conversation. I'm going to throw it up on my YouTube page. House of L podcast has a YouTube page. Go check it out. But thank you so much for this episode. And, and if you're not following Shakia Taylor at curly froze, where you can find her on Twitter, She's got all the baseball stories. Talk to you next week. Peace.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.